Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week, I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode number 128 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. I hope you're doing well. Firstly, as ever, a big shout going out to our Patreon supporters. This podcast would not be able to be produced without you. And although this content is free for absolutely everybody, if you think you would like to support the podcast, you can do that by going over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram page. You'll find a link tree drop-down box and you can follow the link there over to the Patreon site. You can do it from as little as £3 a month And as I said, we wouldn't be able to produce this without it. But back to this week's guest. I'm taking you to meet artist and curator Amy Jackson. Amy has produced some beautiful projects in the past. The alternative art trail that she produced for the Kensington and Chelsea Art Week was exactly that. Now, although the Kensington and Chelsea Art Week has finished, this is the point when the Kensington and Chelsea Art Festival comes into its own because the festival, which runs until the 31st of August, is designed to bring people together to celebrate, inspire and to be inspired. Because coming up over the next few weeks is a diverse programme with artists, the community's organisations and a wealth of talent behind the scenes whose careers have all been on hold over the past year. Kensington and Chelsea is about to come alive with world-class public art, music and live performances. It's an incredible free festival. And much of this festival is about empowering locals, with a lot of the focus being on young people, community organisations and residents exploring their creativity. Doesn't get much better than that, right? This is all free and runs till August the 31st. And although by now you would have missed the personal tour given by Amy for the Alternative Art Trail, 
you can still follow it on the app called Go Jauntly and you can work your way through it at your own pace. You know I mean? There's, there's me sitting here telling you all about Amy's work when she's sitting here patiently waiting to tell you herself. So please, come and join me over Zoom speaking to Amy Jackson about the Alternative Art Trail. I've been finding it amusing when um, people sign into other family members' laptops and you get quite senior investment professionals, men in their 60s with names like... Uh, Emma TBRE. Is that what you do over daytime? Uh, I work in sustainable finance um, and conceptual arts. So interesting mix, but relatively connected. What is sustainable finance? Um, the way that I like to describe it is it's looking at investments um, from a responsible perspective. So um, at the moment, I'm working for a pension fund um, on behalf of, and so obviously with that pension pot, um, they have various investments in order to pay the pensions, either in equities and companies or yeah. in other types of assets. And investing responsibly is kind of both a moral obligation and something that the the pensioners want and expect to retire into a world worth living in and equally if you don't respect major risks like climate change or human rights abuses then that money is actually at risk yeah a lot of the big companies are, are being a bit more responsible with their uh, their money and their power nowadays aren't they yes exactly i'd like to say that it's from a from coming from the right place, but I think a lot of it is to do with the increasing financial risks associated with either way, not if, doing responsibly. <laughs> either way, it's gonna it it will no doubt grow into something responsible. You know, pressured into it at first, possibly, but then if it becomes part of their life, then then all the better, eh? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it can be frustrating when you see companies talking about responsibility or eco etc because you know that if they've got much bigger issues within their supply chain they're kind of greenwashing yeah. the public um but increasingly there's a lot more scrutiny and companies are just forced to do more either through regulation or because their consumers are demanding it or because we simply live in a world where there's increasing resource scarcity or more scrutiny around human rights issues, for example. So it's quite good. Um, it's, the it's probably the only thing I would ever do alongside working in art. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be involved in really any other industry. Well, it does feel like you're sort of making a, making a difference, doesn't it, really? And it's a bit hard to, because the finance world is a bit sort of um, cold and heartless from the few instances I've, I've been a part of it. I had to go and give a talk at, it was at the NED, but it was these, um, it was directors of some department in these finance companies. And they wanted three inspirational speakers. And I was, you know, chosen as one of those. Do you know my background? No, no, tell me. I, I discovered art whilst doing a long prison sentence and then been in the, been in the art world um, ever since then but it's a um, you know I said it in a sentence but there's you know there's um, some quite interesting bits that are that are a part of it 
and um, yeah, I gave this this talk about my sort of my art journey and and where I am now working for charities and whatnot. And um, in between us three talking, um, they was talking shop, you know, and they were saying that they're gonna they're bringing in a company that reviews their upper tier structure for um, to make sure they have enough. <laughs> this was in their words, enough women and marginalised people in the upper echelons of the boardroom. And um, yeah, that, I was like, well, how do you have to, how do you need to bring a company in to see if you haven't got enough? And I like the way they put women and the marginalised in the same group, you know. Yeah, that's quite frustrating. I mean, especially because probably all that they need to do is financially invest in better policies and better pay for more flexible working would bring along with it better, um, I guess, better opportunities for women or people that they consider to be marginalised, whereas they probably spent hundreds of thousands of pounds on a consultant to tell them that instead. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's, well, that's what I said. All you've got to do is just look left and right in the boardroom and, um, yeah, that'll tell you if it's, if it's too many white middle-class men sitting beside you, you know? I saw an amazing statistic the other day. It was something like so there were more female CEOs named John than female CEOs. <laughs> Brilliant. That's amazing. <laughs> so there you go. In for, in for a treat if your name's John, career-wise. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah, well, after that meeting that I had that I was saying about, I was looking at the art within the, the few of the buildings I went into afterwards. And the art they had in these buildings or in these, the floor rather of the of the company, you know, it was all quite stale and um, soulless art, you know, which pushed me to try and do some exhibitions. It was just as COVID, just before COVID hit. So all of my ideas were scuppered. But that's, um, I started up something called the Ministry of Arts then to try and um, take, to put different charitable exhibitions into these companies, but have artwork that had a bit of moral or social substance to them, you know, rather than just something that was very bling hanging on the wall that possibly represented what they thought they saw in themselves, you know. But, um, and of course, you know, they get they get bought they get bought by the management companies and they're often artists that are already just doing very well, quite lucratively regurgitating the same old crap over and over again and selling it for huge sums of money to go on a a wall that's managed by, you know, <laughs> property management company. Exactly. There's no actual like meaning behind the work or it's not giving opportunities to artists that actually need need the money to have their work on display but anyway back to uh <laughs> to what we're we're here to talk about today um amy on these podcasts i have seven questions that i ask each artist the first being how would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work i often use the term conceptual art to describe my practice which is cheating really because it's a bit of an old-fashioned term from a different art movement 20, 30 years ago. Um, but I feel that it's quite helpful because conceptual work 
explains art that's more focused on the idea than it is on the medium. So if you tell people that you make art, they often ask whether you paint or do you sculpt? And I've done both of those things, but I'm not a painter or a sculptor. So I feel that conceptual conscious art better reflects my practice because it's more about the purpose of the work or it's more about the idea or the intention than it is about the medium that I execute it in. <laughs> Did that work? I really need a better elevator pitch for this. No, that's but... perfect. I was picturing what you was what you were saying, that's for sure. Did you have art at home growing up? Funnily enough, actually, um, my my mother didn't didn't like me to make art because she thought that it was messy. So I didn't really have, you know, a play table with loads of paints all over it and um, lots of fun finger painting to explore. I think when I was looked after by other people, that was all fine. It was all tidied yeah, up. Yeah. We arrived back. But <laughs> never really a, you know, big, you know. Let, let her express herself with uh, drawing on this <laughs> the wall in the house. Let her explore her creativity. So, so no, how, not really. <laughs> how did it find yours, or how did you find yourself working towards um, being an artist? It's quite strange, actually, because I had a few different ideas and I was studying science as well. And I took at an A-level stage, which seems like a really long time ago now, yeah. I did sciences and art to keep my options open assuming that I wanted to do something a bit more medical but I found that I was very much enjoying going to the art lessons <laughs> a bit more than I was enjoying hanging out in the lab so that was sort of a first step indicator and then I went through a weird phase of wanting to be a designer so that's always something I've been quite passionate about good good practical functional design. So I actually did an art and design course at Leeds College. Um, and a good friend of mine actually did the same course the year before and applied to the Ruskin to do fine art, which I really hadn't considered, but I went down for the weekend and it was looking like a great place to be, looked really yeah. fun. And so I just sort of applied. And then once I got in, I ended up thinking, well, I can't really not go to Oxford to do art it seems like turning down a good opportunity yeah so I went and then I think <clears throat> when the art went from an enjoyable recreational lesson to a bit of a compulsion and something that I've sort of had to <laughs> pursue <laughs> since then I wouldn't call it in any way cathartic or <laughs> relaxing took on sort of a, a mind of its own at that point you've said yourself that you your art blends philosophy, nature, and science. Where you pull in those other interests that you have, pull them into your art, that gives you so many more areas to take your art into, doesn't it, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that I've found art so important or enjoyable, and it's, it's so freeing in a way, because you can essentially take any topic in the world that you're interested in studying or exploring, and you can work on that practice using whatever medium you want, yeah. but you don't have to necessarily get into the real nitty gritty of the subject matter in order to explore it fully from, oh, a, from an art perspective. So that's, that's kind of maybe what I mean a bit by that. Um, pulling in art, philosophy and 
nature and science, not really tackling any of them with any 100% enrichment and then <laughs> pulling no, something a, out that hopefully sends I mean, but the viewer only has to only has to know that point about you to be able to read your work, you know, because where it's conceptual, people do need a bit of context. Um, and even just that small amount of context, be it philosophy, science and nature, they, that gives them a little um, angle on how to read your work, doesn't it? Yeah, I do try quite hard to make sure that I always provide some sort of explanation, even if it's as simple as the title having a reference point or an art reference, just simply because I think it's not really that self-explanatory. And whilst a lot of high art maybe doesn't feel the need to explain itself that fully, I'm quite, it's always been quite important to me that art is generally accessible yeah. to a full range of audiences from the art critic who has a wealth of academic knowledge on fine art through to anybody that might walk past it on the street, whether they like it or not. I think there has to be some something that can be gleaned by anybody, depending on or, you know, irrespective of their knowledge in the art world. Oh, yeah, I totally <laughs> agree. I, when, when I'm making my work and I, I say that I have just a few pillars that are the foundation to my artwork, just like you've said there. And mine being time, identity, uh, social injustice, and once you know that about the artist, then, then you can you can read what they're producing. And so, to try and pull in the people that that aren't so sort of au fait with the art world, I try to make mine a, a little bolder than than I normally would, just so it can bring the people in to then possibly want to discover what I'm about. You know. You're in the um, Kensington and Chelsea Art Week. Yes, this is the second time, which is which is great, actually. Um, I was really delighted to be able to work on it for the second year. What was it you done on the first year? The first year was called, I think it was Transformation. And that was the theme. And I presented a piece to them called Little Voices, which was designed to be almost like a speaker's corner style podium in which artists from underrepresented or marginalized backgrounds or artists working with those types of issues around social injustice would uh, present their work, whether it be performative or spoken word, or even perhaps a sculpture that had some performative element around it. And this was booked for, I think, June 2020. Yeah. Obviously, that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> it, got, it got delayed and postponed um, until it was rearranged for October 2020. And they, we thought by this point, rather than having something out in the open, it might be better to have something behind a shop window. So we were thinking about using empty shop windows and an empty space in order to you know, allow the artists to present their work. And we were still getting the venue sorted, I think even two weeks before the date that we scheduled, <laughs> until amazingly, um, uh, uh, Caroline Bosley, who's, um, I can't remember if she's on the committee or she's, she's working with them, but she miraculously got in touch with Sloane Stanley that have quite a few properties and they kindly suggested that we 
we'd be able to use the Chelsea Telephone Exchange. So I thought, oh, great, there's a venue and we can do a couple of little poems behind a window. And all of a sudden, I went to go look at the venue and it was sort of like <laughs> four floors. <laughs> the biggest space I think I've ever seen. You'd get tired from one end yeah. of it to the other. And I thought, I can't just do a, a little poem in the window. This is going to be a disaster. We're going to have to fill the space with, with art. Um, and luckily, I managed to put out an open call and there were so many people working with these types of themes who also knew other artists and very quickly we were able to mobilize a very big exhibition across the Chelsea Telephone Exchange so that was that was really really great actually and uh, very last minute but I guess in the context of last year that's sort of what we had to do (laughs) to get things done. I mean trying to get um, or doing a, a shout out and wanting so many people to just sort of give their little message of, of thoughts that are going through their mind and having it in a telephone exchange you couldn't have done any better could you I know and it was it was actually would have had at the time many female workers working in the telephone exchange that the, just everything in the timing the venue the meaning behind the venue and the history of the place just was such a brilliant so poignant yeah per, yeah such a perfect storm really yeah, I mean, if, if you would have um, if you would have thought of having it in a telephone exchange, it would have taken you half a lifetime to try and find one that was willing to um, to accept you, and then you had one just plunked in your lap. Superb. Yeah, so so lucky. The twenty twenty one Kensington and Chelsea Art Week. Um, what is it you're doing for this year's event? So for this year's event, um, I'm working on a piece called the Alternative Art Trail. So as you know, the Kensington and Chelsea Art Week always includes a public art trail. And the purpose of the alternative art trail is to draw people's attention to those natural interventions, as I call them, that we see dotted around the city. And by natural interventions, I mean when nature reclaims a man-made structure somehow. So it could be a beautiful building in the heart of Chelsea that's been attacked by a mixture of rain and rust or it could just be a tiny gap between two ginormous houses there called Slither of Sky or it could be a little friendly weed poking through somebody's pristine wall and so what I've done is I've tried to walk around the area and look for these little interventions or happenings and I've curated them into excellent an alternative walk, as it were, or alternative art trail. Oh, I love it. It's had its challenges, but um, it's uh, working out quite well. A friend of mine at the back of their studio, there was just a, it, which turned out to be just a small crack between a couple of bricks. And there was a very small, but much larger than you'd expect, tree growing from this crack in between two bricks. It must have been over a metre tall. It's, uh, yeah, it's amazing and nature sort of lets itself seen, isn't it? That is so amazing. It's, um, I'd been quite interested in the concept of nature reclaimed generally. If you look at areas where humans were and then they've been abandoned for whatever reason, you end up with amazing natural things happening. As you said, with trees growing through tiny cracks, 
um, or trees growing around bicycles that get lifted up into the air. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think it's it became somehow a bit more relevant within uh, the, the first lockdown because people did start to notice that well-trodden streets that were normally full of people were starting to get reclaimed by animals or by weeds or by little bits of nature. Um, and again, because we couldn't really do much apart from walk around, these sorts of natural happenings became really apparent. And I think because I spent the whole of lockdown in central London, as opposed to in a country retreat somewhere, <laughs> I, I kind of thought everyone's running off to the, the countryside, but there was kind of plenty of nature within zone two in London, if you just looked yeah, hard yeah. enough. Oh, brilliant. I mean, I mentioned that I was um, that I was in prison. There used to be a petrol station in my town. I went. I was away for quite. I got done for drugs, and I got a fourteen-year prison sentence. So I was away for seven years. Fourteen years. Wow, that's yeah. long. So I come straight out of prison and started my degree. The time behind me had gone in a flash. You know, ahead of me it was you know in the distance. I was running low on petrol, so I thought I'll go to this petrol down so-and-so street. And when I turned down there, not only was the petrol station no longer there, the plot was still there, but vacant. The building and pumps had gone. But there was a tree round about the centre of the forecourt, but it was maybe two metres high. That was the one thing that made me realise how long I'd been in prison. That one tree that had grown that tall. And, um... That's amazing. Time's such an interesting concept. Um, before I started getting more focused on social inequality art and that kind of thing, I did a lot of work on time, memory, um, mental health as well. And in kind of trying to study time and understand how it passes in different lengths, um, I found that research quite interesting in the pandemic because the reason that time feels a bit longer when you're younger is not is not just because it's a bigger proportion of your life so far. It's about the experience of new things. So when you see different things every day and when you're constantly experiencing new sights and sounds and smells, that memory is often extended. And when you find yourself in a situation like lockdown or like a prison where it's very, very repetitive, the time passes very quickly. Mm. And I think a lot of people are quite baffled about how much time has gone since the first lockdown was instigated over a year ago now. Um, but that is kind of the nature of how, how time passes when you're in quite a repetitive, despite being boring, repetitive situation uh, with a routine. Mm, definitely. Well, I started a, a project about two years ago, which I called my time series. There was a few things involved, but it's where my children would listen to a song and the first six, seven, ten seconds and then swipe because they've had enough. And I was saying, like, you're missing so much, you know, and then I told them about when I was a kid and um, you know, like an LP come out that I was waiting for by my favourite group. And, you know, we'd get on the bus and, you know, all that old man stuff that they're listening to, get on a bus and listen to the song in the shop and then read the album on the way back and play the album over and over and over again until the needles worn out on the record player. And they were saying, but 
we've got all of this, you know, we can listen to so much more. And I was saying, but you're not giving it time. You know, I said, things need time to flourish. I said, and just uh, swiping left all the time does nothing. So through frustration, I wanted to produce these drawings that physically showed time. And I made these large padlocks uh, made out of, you know, tally marks, what the prisoners would write on the wall so to mark time. So it's four with a four marks yeah. of light, diagonal line. Um, so I figured that marks the, the actual day that they've been in jail. And I would just make these huge drawings, very detailed from a distance. Um, and it, instead of crosshatch, it would be those tally marks. So when you get up close, you can literally see how long it's taken me because I've marked every one. And then just as I was trying to sort of tell the world my frustration about time, lockdown hit or COVID hit, everyone <laughs> was shut away. Then all of a sudden, everyone has got this time on their hands that, that they've never really experienced before and given them a time, like you say, to look out of their window and observe the nature rather than look through it or, you know, give them time to sort of do that thing they've wanted to do since they was a kid or wish they'd done being like arts and crafts or learn the piano or something creative, you know? That's really interesting. Yeah, I did, I did a piece back at um, maybe 15 years ago now that was uh, kind of like a time series and I was cutting uh, you know, every letter A out of every newspaper. And then I went through a, a series of cutting little holes out of a newspaper compendium from the 1800s and then stitching all 30,000 holes back in. <laughs> and this was referring to mental health issues. And I remember my mum saying, you really need to stop making this kind of work because you're going to give yourself mental health problems by doing the repetitive act of... Yeah trying to explore this this concept um, and weirdly it, it actually really probably did affect my mental health quite significantly and that that body of work that I produced that was very repetitive and very meticulous was quite psychotic and I, I really look back on that with a bit of post-traumatic stress but funnily enough I just at, at the time to have the luxury of thinking that that was a good way of making work I'd be panicking about doing that now because I, I'm actually running out of time yeah. I feel very conscious that 15 years have gone by and I've got a certain amount left I think we all feel a lot a lot busier now than we used to when you're talking about the records I mean it, it used to take as long on a cassette to rewind the song to listen to it again with your pen yeah, you'd spend as long rewinding it to repeat it as you would to listen to it in the first place. And that conscious act of wanting to listen to it again and being patient enough to rewind it is something that a generation now just wouldn't maybe be able to comprehend. No, no. and probably for a good reason. You know, the, the generation behind us were winding up a bloody um, a record player on the side. You know, it's, it, it shifts each generation, doesn't it? Well, that was the original buffering. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've never thought of it like that. That's superb. Um, Amy, I've got another question here. If there was you and five other artists, past and present, what would your ideal group show be? If there were five artists, past and present? Yeah. So I'm assuming that I'm curating this and I'm not involved in the group show. Either, either way, you can be in it. Oh, that changes everything. 
because obviously if you're working out who you want to be in your group show you want somebody that's going to have a good drink with you at the private group <laughs> um you also don't want to pick anyone too amazing because then it will make a your few work people have said that. that. <laughs> <laughs> um oh past and present past or present past or present this is such a hard question i feel like i should have got a day's warning to just start planning this and scoping it out. Um, let me think. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Joseph Boys, I think. Perfect. Um, the forefather of Fluxus. I feel like he was, you know, the very original uh, guy who really asked us what the art object was. Um, in a modern context. So I'd be certainly interested to see some of his happenings live, perhaps. Nice. Um, I would quite like to include um, a friend of mine called uh, John Sear, who okay. he's, he's not making work uh, at the moment, he's writing currently um but i specifically choose him because i feel like having a group show planned would be um a kick up the arse to make something because i'd quite like to see what he'd make in the modern context my last story is work in 2008 so that's that's another one um i'd be quite keen to include free Carlo, just nice just for the chat maybe at the private view and uh, somebody to have an interesting conversation with. Um, and assuming I'm gonna plonk myself in the show, like a, like a spoiled curator trying to get my, <laughs> my work out there, I'll throw myself in. Um, and then just to make sure my work's not overshadowed and that nobody's work looks unoriginal, uh, we might plonk Damien Hurst in there. Just, to... <laughs> <laughs> just so we can ask him some hard questions and uh, make sure that there's nothing too spectacular and new going on. <laughs> he may well nick your ideas for his next show. Yeah, and get some poorly paid interns to fabricate them. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a, a girl when we um, when she was a year above us she come back to the uni and she was saying how she's working for Damien Hurst and we was all quite impressed. And then she told us how much she was getting paid. And it was, it was quite shocking, really. She was more or less an intern, you know. Um, yeah, it's not ideal. <laughs> no. Um, Amy, what have you got coming up at the moment? Other than the Kensington and Chelsea art show? I have a piece, well, there's a group show coming up called Distanced Domestic, which mm -hmm. is happening in Clapton towards the end of July. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. This piece looks at uh, domestic issues and domestic abuse heightened, obviously, due to yeah. COVID and takes the work of quite a lot of different artists um, working with themes around domestic violence or gaslighting, um, et cetera. So that should be a really interesting show. Yeah. Um, and I've submitted uh, my piece, hashtag I am not a robot for that, but I'll be making some new 
work which responds specifically to the theme. Um, and then um, in October, September, October, um, I'm supposed to be having a solo exhibition in South Korea. Nice. But both because of COVID uh, with travel and because of the fact that I'm pregnant, I actually can't fly there. So I need to work out a way to fabricate the work remotely. <laughs> I'm determined that the show's still going to happen. I thought you was leading up to tell me that it's now in North Korea. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Then it would definitely need to be fabricated. I fancy popping there. Um, but no, it's uh, it's still going ahead. Brilliant. So that should be end of September, beginning of October. Need to find a way to fabricate the work. Um, but I'm sure anything's possible. Excellent. And well, so everyone can come and see your work until then at the Kensington and Chelsea Art Week for your alternative art trail. Yes, exactly. And I recommend going to see it towards the weekend on Friday, Saturday and Sunday when I'm doing a live walking tour. And I'm definitely not plugging the weekend because some of the plaques, have, some of the biodegradable sustainable plaques have been washed away in yesterday's oh, rain. Oh, well, <laughs> oh, well you know, that's, that's, that's definitely nature. Not, that's definitely not why I'm suggesting the weekend. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, nature uh, for you, eh? I didn't really know what to say, but I was kind of thinking this nature art trail has been postponed slightly due to nature. <laughs> due to nature's <laughs> intervention. All right, Amy, that's all my questions asked. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great speaking to you. Thank you. All the very best. Good See you later. You. And you. Bye-bye. There you are, Amy Jackson and her alternative art trail as part of the Kensington Chelsea Art Festival. And as I said at the start of the podcast, it runs until August the 31st. I mean, there's art, culture and community spirit. Can't get much better than that. And it's free. And as I also said at the start of this podcast, Amy Jackson's previous projects are absolutely beautiful. So once you've checked out the Kensington and Chelsea Art Festival, go and have a look at her work. It's just stunning. So thank you to Lisa Baker for connecting me with Amy Jackson as well as Vestalia and Rebecca from the Kensington and Chelsea Art Week. So, that's it for today. We've got another absolute corker coming out on Monday, but I'll leave who it is until then, so it's a nice little surprise. It's LR Bandy, and she's brilliant. But anyway, until Monday, ta-da. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. If you're unable to support us on Patreon, leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to this podcast really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast, or even giving us a positive shout out on your social media. Anything is appreciated, but either way, thanks for listening, and until next week, ta-da. up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.